Welcome to Superintendent Radio Network. I'm Guy Cipriano. This episode marks the two-year anniversary of our Tartan Talk series. So we figured the perfect guest to have on would be the person that we started the series with. For those of you who don't remember or maybe weren't listening at the time, our first guest was Andy Staples. So we're bringing him back for a repeat appearance. He's our first repeat guest. But before we get going with Andy, we'd like to thank Better Billy Bunker for supporting this podcast. Better Billy Bunker is not only a giant supporter of the American Society of Golf Course Architects, Better Billy Bunker supports a number of industry efforts, including the work of golf course superintendents. So we're glad that they're on board and we're glad that we were able to catch up with Andy again. Well, Andy, this is kind of like a two-year anniversary podcast for us. The first time we recorded a Tartan Talks episode, it was done while touring Meadowbrook Country Club and Meadowbrook Country Club outside of Detroit was under construction then. The course has been open for a year now. Explain to our listeners who aren't familiar what you did at Meadowbrook and what is it like going back there now that the work's done and the, the work is really, really good. Yeah. Well, thanks, Guy. Yeah. Going back there is incredible. It, it's it's been it's been an honor and and you know you always hear that a lot but it's been really cool to go back there and get all the response and talk to the members and see how jazzed they are so you know I love to play it but it's it's just as good to hear how much fun all the other members uh, are uh, are having but you know Meadowbrook Country Club is a private club outside of Detroit it was uh, built in 1916 as an original six hole Willie Park Junior golf course uh, Willie Willie Park never got to expand it to 18. Collis and DeRay, two guys out of Chicago, took it to 18. Donald Ross had a hand in it. Uh, Jerry Matthews, a couple other art, local architects, Art Hills. And so we did a master plan to completely, you know, kind of re-envision the, the property and and really pay homage to the Willie Park Jr. original design. And an interesting aspect of our project is we took a group of guys over to England and toured some park courses over there, Sunningdale, Huntercombe. We saw a bunch of his courses uh, here in the U.S., and, and, and we, we learned from a lot of what he did, and, and we can't say we restored the course because he really didn't do much. Uh, you know, The entire 18, he only did six holes, and actually five of his greens were, were only in, in existence, but we paid homage to a lot of the things we saw in his courses, and and uh, we, we we renovated it over a, a 12-month period, shut down for a full season. And and uh, in the end, I think we've got some really cool greens, uh, really uh, solid stand of bent grass. Uh, we fought the POA. We got full bent grass fairways, cleared out some trees, added about 15 miles of drainage. So not only do uh, I think we have a, a cool design, but... It's functioning really well. Another great aspect of going back there this spring is seeing all the rain that they've had and watching the golf course drain. So uh, our our plans have, have worked above ground and below ground. It's inter- interesting you just said the word POA. I hear that a lot when I talk to golf course superintendents. I don't hear it as much when I'm speaking with golf course architects. Does POA factor into some of your design decisions? It sounds like it did at Meadowbrook. Yeah, well, anybody who... Who is going to be doing some grassing or regrassing in the in the Midwest or really across the country is going to be asking the question: Is can you really keep POA out? So uh, that's a it's a constant battle. It's not one that that I personally have to fight. But what I can do is is you know try to set the superintendent. You know, Jared Milner's our superintendent up there. Set him up for as much su- 
success as possible. And, you know, that's what we do, a lot of drainage, being able to fight uh, fight the POA from a water management standpoint, and then doing our best to use as many of the, the latest technologies in, in fertility and chemical control as well. But, you know, really, I, I like to say we want the golf course to play fast, and POA doesn't like water and doesn't like fertilizer, so... To me, I'm okay with uh, allowing the golf course to go a little bit off color, and and to me that that even help, helps uh, fight Poe even you know a, a little bit a little bit more. We saw each other a few weeks ago at the We One outing at Meadowbrook, and it rained a ton the two days before the outing and the morning of the outing. Yet the golf course still had some firmness to it. What are some techniques you use to get a golf course? to play firm even in a place like the Midwest where maybe a lot of people think a golf course can't play firm? What are some design elements you can use to promote that type of golf? The best thing to do is just to make sure that that water doesn't make it to your fairways to begin with. So one of the one of the things we did at Meadowbrook and what I try to do on, on all my courses is to be able to think about where that water is supposed to go before it gets to the course. So there's a portion of the course, hole, hole number four and five, that my understanding is before we started that it would be weeks and sometimes months before you'd be mowing rough and fairway down this area we we cut a, a kind of a channel drainage channel that actually then looped through the course and we intercepted all that drainage got it in a, a channel and it never even had a chance to sit on the golf course so so i try to do as much as i can with with the way they did it in the old days you know just kind of you know shape and contour the fairways and the roughs and the and the you know the, the regular the, the landforms to make sure that we direct the water where we want it to go and then and then from there it's you know it's inevitable it's going to ultimately get to the golf course so drainage 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 is the three aspects that you need to understand by building a golf course right uh, so we 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 try to get it into pipe as quick as possible and then sand top dress and add some more perforated drainage so. You know, it's 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 a constant battle. Drainage is like a, you know, it's no different than say you're the worst house on the neighborhood, right? When you've got the worst house around the block, it finally gets renovated. It's now one of the nicest houses. Well, the second worst house is now the worst house. So we, you know, we we could drain and put drainage all across the golf course, but now what used to be some of the worst drain holes now are some of the best. But now some of the ones that the members didn't necessarily think were too bad now are the worst, and so. You know, we're we're still adding drainage. We actually we installed another drainage ditch on the 13th hole just uh, a week ago to try to try to capture some of this drainage as it comes off the hillside before it gets out on the golf course, which is cool. We're going to put all fescue around this this area. You never even know it's going to be there, but functionally, I think it's going to work work the best. So, so to me, that's those are some of the things I think about when we're when we're laying out a golf course. So Meadowbrook was closed for about a year to do this project it was a giant project and it completely transformed the golf course when that project ends what's the role of the architect how much follow-up work and uh feedback soliciting do you do when you're done with something really really big like you did at meadowbrook yeah i think that's the you know i think a lot of people think that, that we as architects just come in for a project and then we leave you know i think i speak for all of us that one of the the joys of our job is to continue to go back there on an annual basis. We we talk a lot about, you know, this is a client for life. So you know, I'll do as much as I can to to get back and make sure it's functioning the way we want it to be functioning. And you know, as I just alluded to, we you know we want to keep adding some drainage, 
we we did our best to not put a, any any extra cart path in that we that we didn't need. Well, we're adding a, maybe a spur here or there that we want to make sure that that's installed properly. So there, I would say it's at least on an annual basis. I, I really try to go back on on some some of the club events. You know, every club's generally got their own invitational. I, I try to do my best to play in it or at least come back and watch it. I did that last year for the for Meadowbrook. Uh, I've got another club I'm going to go to this this summer to to go to their their invitational. So you know, to me, that's that's one of the the really enjoyable parts of my job is to go back and watch it develop. You know, that first season, you know, one or two or even three seasons is an important part of the life of the golf course to make sure it gets set off in the right direction and make sure it keeps getting, you know, it, it's playing the way we want it to play. And so um, I hope to be going back to Meadowbrook for the rest of my life. Meadowbrook has some things that are different, especially for the Detroit market in the Midwest. There are some squared off greens. There's some, there's a like a fairway that burritzes into a green. There's a, there's an L-shaped green. Explain your thought process when you were trying to do something so bold and so different. What's the reward when you do something big and that hasn't been seen in, in an area? And what's the risk on the other side of trying to make those decisions? Yeah, the well, the risk the risk is what's you know that the idea of us building us as architects building something that either doesn't work or can't be maintained i think is is a contributing factor i think of why we 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 as an industry have become so conservative you know i i just kind of look back at you know all of the the great experiences that i've had playing golf the first time i go to san andrews at the old course of san andrews the first time you walk out on the national golf links or over at shinnecock and you see you see or garden city golf club is another really really cool antiquity of a course you see things and and everybody reveres these features whether it's a drainage ditch or a rock wall or chocolate drops or you know some even the squared off nature of some mowing lines you go to oakmont and you see how they they mow the fairways right into the greens and we talk about how good these are and for some reason not a lot of it gets translated into new into the new golf courses and so we just we just said well, we want to do something that feels like it was built in 1916, and so we really, we were really tied, you know, tuned into what what was being done at that time. And then, you know, I think if it's one thing to be able to say that Andy Staples did this versus, well, this is what Willie Park Jr. did. The, the, the third hole that you're referring to, the the L Green, you know, that that was a pretty strong reflection and inspiration from Willie Park Sports Green at Huntercombe over in in England, outside of London. And it was really interesting. When we first shaped that green, the members would come out and ask me what in the world was going on here, and they didn't know where the green was or what was going on. So I said, no, this is the green. And their first reaction is, is that, they, that it, they didn't like it and that they, it blew their minds. They'd never seen anything like that before. But as soon as I told them, and then we had the guys that were over there putting on that on that green, and I told them that this was a Willie Park Jr. feature that we're actually bringing over here to Michigan they're like, oh, okay, I could get that. So I think it's a delicate balance between the creativity of, of uh, you know, a modern designer versus a, a, a feature that may have been done on, on a, a course of yesteryear. Uh, but I think if it's been done before, uh, it, and if it's if it's the correct situation and the correct maintenance budget and the, and the correct owner, it could be done again. So 
I didn't see it quite as a risk because I, I saw it as being, well, we're just doing what we've seen on other golf courses. Why can't we do it here? And I think, I think it's an indication, you know, people talk, talk about it as being such a risk and being so bold. I don't, that's because I, you go to all the other golf courses around the world and you see this all over the place. So we just wanted to bring a piece of that back to Michigan. And I, and I, yeah, I guess it's a delicate balance, but you know, we, we figured it would be, if it was cool for Willie Park Jr., it'd be cool for the guys at Meadowbrook. We talk a lot in the golf industry about trying to reach and connect with millennial workers. As a golf course architect, how much do you think about the younger generations that are going to become, hopefully become private club members in 10 to 15 to 20 years? Do they go into your thought processes when you're working with the private clubs, or do you only concern yourself with the, the bill payers now? How do you balance what those two generations want and the playing experiences uh, they seek? That's a big question, and yes, we think about that all the time. You know, the, the difficulty in that conversation is many of the the decision makers are the the boomers and the 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 age group that are on the transition, maybe getting older and not and playing less golf. And then, meanwhile, you've got a couple of the younger you know, committee members that have their buddies, but yet they're you know they're the thirty-five to forty-five and maybe under you know, maybe under fifty crowd, if you will. Um, it's a it's a pretty big part of our conversation, that, and I can't say that every club is the same, and I can't say that I handle every club the same. What I do what I do see a lot of is this idea of trying to please everyone, and you know th- there is a disconnect between the older generation of golfers and this new new age uh, golfer, if you will, the millennial golfer. And I don't know that I necessarily call it a millennial. I even t- I even you know go a little bit. It's that it's the new executive, the young family, the, the really the person that I am I'm married with three young boys I don't have the time to to spend six hours on a Saturday morning with my buddies like I once did and these are the this is the group that is looking for an alternative whether it's a private club or or they're you know a place to go outside and play golf and so uh, it, it weighs heavily and and I, I will say one of the the strongest advocates that uh, for my work at Meadowbrook and, and for the people that have seen it, have been the under-50 crowd because they see it as a, such a refreshing uh, approach to you know something that they hadn't seen before where I think once once the older generation starts to see that excitement, they started to come around a little bit, I think. Uh, but I don't know that I have an answer for that. It's definitely a, it's a conversation that's happening across all, the entire country, and it's, and it's happening with my clients as to you know who are we trying to reach. And all I just tell them is, you know, this, this is a 20 to 30 year life cycle project, and so we need to be thinking about things uh, that we're not necessarily even aware of today. And as long as we're being smart about it and, and spending the, the the budget, you know, appropriately, we need to start reaching them. So fun, uh, flexibility, new tees, forward tees, three hole loops, six hole loops, expanded practice facilities. I've got, I don't know, five new expanded practice facilities going on right now just with courses and wedge ranges. And those are the things that, that are really speaking to that, that millennial golfer, as you, as you describe it. And so um, we're doing our best to try to make everybody happy, <laughs> and I hope it works out. You're a big advocate for doing projects and golf course maintenance in an environmentally responsible way. Where do you see the industry being at with sustainability right now? 
are people fast to catch on to some of the sustainable practices, or has it been slow to catch on in your mind? Well, the best way for me to answer that is my first energy and water program that I did for uh, for the outreach of, of, of golf courses in Southern California started in 2004. And so when I was going around talking to these golf course superintendents, they, you know, they didn't have the interest. They, did, they had enough going on, and, and the cost of their power and cost of their water wasn't on their, on their radar as anything that they could affect. So it wasn't as if they didn't care about it. It just wasn't something that they felt that they were controlling or able to control. So 14 years later, you know, not only did, do I feel we went from a whole group of superintendents that, that either didn't know about it, didn't care about it, wasn't a pr- priority, now we've gone through to the majority of the superintendents are aware of it, they know about it, and more likely have done something about it. So, you know, I know that the last couple of years, I think this idea of sustainability has died off a little bit. Part of it's economy-driven. You know, we're through the Great Recession. But I also think that the industry, you know, we talk about it being a big iceberg, that it's hard to, to move it, it's hard to pivot. But we, we pivoted really quickly, in my opinion. So in, in a matter of 14 years, we went from you know, not knowing about uh, power bills and pump stations and, and water use to turf reduction and, and millions of dollars spent on taking out turf and and all the upgrades with irrigation. Irrigation still improvements of irrigation systems across the country are still at a you know, just at a, a rapid pace. So I think from an environmental, you know, from a water environmental standpoint, I think that we as an industry have done a you know, pretty awesome job. Um, you know, the, I still use the word sustainable. I like that word. I know a lot of guys in the industry get a little tired of hearing it, but there's there's a lot of if you dig down deep into that word, it, it means a lot. And I, you know, whether it's environmental, whether it's economic, whether it's social, you know, we've spoken in the past about you know the the effects of a golf course on community and and how it's integrated into the fabric of of a of a of a community and and how the benefits of that it brings not necessarily from an environmental or, or an economic standpoint but just pure you know local community pride and so to me those are if there's one place in the in the the term sustainable where golf has a lot to to uh, to do yet that's that's a, in its acceptance and its marketing and its promotion of the value of a golf course in a community. So the social aspects of sustainability, I think, are still a, an awesome opportunity. You know, I focus a lot on the municipal sector, uh, even in the club, you know, the private club market. Everybody's looking at how to provide more value to more people, and so I think we still have a lot to go there. But from an environmental standpoint, you know, at least from a water and energy stand, you know, perspective, we've done a great job. Is it possible for a golf facility to be environmentally and socially sustainable? And also economically sustainable, do they all connect some way, or is it very tricky to get them all, all to connect? Triangle, right? It's that, it's that equal part. And you know, we as a golf industry want to put a lot more, a lot larger part of the, of the triangle on the economics. And so you know, I, would, I would argue that, yes, uh, the golf course should be, a, a golf course should be able to be equal parts uh, of all aspects of sustainability, but I think it doesn't always mean that a golf course is positioned to make money. And so, you know, just because we're talking about economics doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, that the golf owner, the golf course owner is going to be successful every time. There's still market demands. There's still supply and demand. You might be in an area that, 
that there's a lot of competition. There's a lot of golf courses, a lot of municipal golf courses in, a, in an area of, of uh, pretty strong competition. And so, to me, economics can be brought in on yeah, – what I've tried to do is promote the idea of economics uh, from a variety of different perspectives. You know, a lot of municipal courses, a lot of public courses just want to break even. You know, just, you know, they're tired of losing money. So, to me, economics uh, is, is at least breaking even. And then showing value across the rest of the community. One of the things that I think that we that I feel from an economic standpoint that isn't always recorded on a on a profit loss statement is you know just the value of open space and all of the the environmental footprint discussions of of clean air and and open space and and healthy activities that that to me that you know healthcare costs all that getting people outside. To me, there's an economic uh, benefit that is harder to, to actually quantify. But, yeah, I think, I think a golf course has to. And if it doesn't, then it needs to close down. So if it's not able to, to be able to be equal parts environment, social, and economic, then you're probably, you're probably not supposed to be there. When we had you on the podcast two years ago, you talked a lot about your community links concept and the work that you did in New Mexico. How has Rockwind evolved and are you still working on some other projects where you're going to be or trying to implement the community links concept yeah so the the, the best one i'm working with right now is uh, dairy creek golf course over in san luis obispo and and uh, josh heptig the, the superintendent over there so we've we've been plotting through uh, a master plan and, and a re-envisioning of that property and it, that was directly related to to them losing a, a significant annual uh, uh, amount of water to, to, to irrigate 18 holes. We're going we're to be dropping the total acreage down uh, because of it, and we're going to be moving the range and, and completely re-envisioning the clubhouse and, and making an, an entertainment district more than it is a golf course. And so, uh, But it's been slow to uh, – sl- the idea of community links has been slow to catch on, so to speak, but – you know, I've got a handful of other courses that we continue to work through. Uh, you know, the the industry is still very cash strapped, so the the idea of of investing a huge, you know, a large sums of money to re envision a, a property is still few and far between. But you know, I talk I talk a lot in terms of marketing and public relations of your golf course, and so I do. I, I find myself doing a lot more town hall meetings and and focus groups on 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 how to increase the 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 positioning of the golf course for more people, uh, not just golfers, and then try to make it better and more reasonable for golfers. So uh, since we last spoke, it's, you know, I spend probably 60% of my time focused on uh, municipal sector. I, I have someone who helps me. We call on an almost daily basis having you know, conversations. I have a, have a monthly newsletter that goes out to all of my municipal stakeholders. Uh, it's, it's still burning, uh, but I wish... I do wish that it was uh, a little bit more uh, popular, but you know what? That's you know, it, places across the country like Winter Park in Florida, and you know, and then you're seeing a, a place like Sand Valley up in the middle of, of, of central Wisconsin. You know, these these are great stories that are turning around small communities uh, and showing them the value of golf. And I think the idea of community golf is is still is is, is getting stronger every day. Is there still a water crisis out west? You do a lot of work in Arizona and California. Is there still 
serious questions being asked about golf courses, current and future water supplies, or has that topic died down in the last few years? Yeah, absolutely. There's still a, a, a crisis, if you will. You know, it's that's just a, a reporter like me using too strong of a word. I could have phrased it better. <laughs> we as a population or society, and even in the golf industry, we, we if we hear the same message over and over again, we start to tune it out. And I think, you know, the the water discussion across the golf industry was so prevalent for, you know, a five to six year period that, you know, we couldn't talk about it anymore. That's for sure. But no, there's so one uh, a client of mine up in Northern California and San Jose, we're we're in the process. We just got approved for a well. They're on potable water. We're getting, uh, we're going through the process of transitioning them off of potable water into a, a well source. Uh, there's a, a client of mine in Southern California outside of San Diego that uh, their water agreement has just run out, and they're negotiating a, a, a new a new rate for their recycled water. And so that's going to have some impacts from a uh, from their uh, operating standpoint. So, you know, the, the water industry. I've always I've always described the water industry as, you know, the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. If you've got water, you more than likely have got more than you need. If you don't have water, you're going to probably pay as much as you can to to get it, and you, and you just can't find it. And so, yeah, it's it's going to continue to get. Uh, at least in California, at least in the Western U.S., they're they're going to be more and more stringent on how they're monitoring. Uh, California is, is just rolling out a whole program about monitoring their groundwater. So there, there's many people in the West are still talking about it. I promise you that. The ASGCA is working on a cool project called the the Golf Course of the Future. Explain to our listeners what that resource entails and how does Andy Staples see the Golf Course of the Future looking yeah so we've we've embarked on uh, uh, some some uh some statistical uh investigation and 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 to go out there and and actually base the course of the future on what where the trends of the industry are really actually headed so we we paid a firm to go out and and actually give us some some real research uh and, and 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 really the course of the future was framed around a graphic presentation of what that research about the industry. We talked to golf course owners. We talked to architects. We talked to golfers themselves, uh, and 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 where the where the future was headed with golf. So we tried to to have this tool to to give a graphic representation of the things that were actually happening. And so, you know, my vision of the future for golf courses is that you know golf golf has to continue to sell itself for why we play it. You know, yes, there's only anywhere from eight to eleven percent of a population that plays golf, and you know, many of the non-golfers are are still, you know, fairly lukewarm to say the best <laughs> to put it kindly about golf. Some a lot worse, but uh, the course of the future has to sell what the the great aspects of the game of golf are. That is a simple playing field that you hit a ball and you do it 18 times. You don't necessarily have to do it 18 times. Uh, anymore, but uh, you do it with your friends, you do it with your family, and you do it outside. And hopefully, you're carrying your bag, and so there's some there's some health uh, health benefits that come along with it. And so, you know, I hope that the golf industry doesn't try to go towards the the business aspects. You know, I I shudder at the idea of of 
uh, internet access on golf carts and and how golf carts are becoming more and more of a of an aspect of of the business and no i don't necessarily see all of these uh non golf you know activities when you're playing golf i like to keep things simple uh but the course of the future was was trying to have, give try to put a a clearinghouse of all of the aspects that we felt the industry was going and certainly not all at one facility so if you go on our website at ASGCA ASGCA's website you'll get a link to the course of the future uh and there's a couple of cool videos on there that kind of give us a sense of where we're going i really focused hard on water harvesting water efficiency uh renewable energy those types of things uh there is no doubt the course of the future is going to be running on less and less resources uh and and hopefully for less and less uh annual expense uh and hoping to increase revenue generators in areas that we weren't able to get them uh through the values of the game of golf. Have you worked with a course that's considered doing drip irrigation? We're we're talking about future practices here and would drip irrigation even be feasible on a golf course? So I've tried I've I've been in, involved with the drip, you know, the subsurface irrigation if you will, uh for golf courses for a number of years trying to get more and more people aware and 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 testing it. We we actually have used it a few times, you know, where I try to use it is that on bunker faces where south-facing bunker faces so you don't necessarily have to have you know big systems that get the sand all wet at the same time and and i think it's great the the research is coming back that that in the in years past these drip emitters would you know would start to freeze up and not work and so therefore uh they would fail over time and then you know tees are another place uh golf course tees is a place that, that we've tried to use them but then there was a discussion about how you can't aerify and and then you need uh, above ground irrigation to water and fertilizer things like that. So there, I've heard all the the reasons why that doesn't work on golf, but I think the one thing that is clear uh, and the research supports this that you cannot use any less water than you would with drip subsurface irrigation. And so when you and it's being used all across the world, the United States is is, is still way behind in that technology that. You know, you use 60, 70% less water to irrigate turf uh, doing subsurface as opposed to uh, above-ground aerial application. And so I think there's going to be more and more. The technology still is very expensive, so per acre, uh, it, it certainly doesn't pencil against putting you know rotors out at 65-foot spacing. But it certainly is something I'm excited about, and I'd love to see the golf industry you know start to do more of it. If nothing else, do it in places where, you know, we can reduce the labor, you know, the hand watering and those types of things. That's why I focused on bunkers and tees. How about solar and wind energy? Do they factor into the course of the future in any way? Yeah, they're 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 a big part of it. And you know, the state of California just came out that every new home built uh, is going to have uh, is going to have to be built with solar panels. And so, you know, the, the idea of our Power delivery across our country is is slow to change, but it's changing. And the the, the future vision is that every every home, every business uh, will have will be its be its own power producer and be its own storage producer. So solar is going to be accompanied right along with batteries. You know that's why there's a big push to do electric vehicles because you know a home is going to have some solar panels and then they're going to store that power in a battery in a in a car or two that you have in your garage and the power company is going to be able to 
people know when that car is parked in your garage, and they're going to be able to use it for for power, backup power on the grid. So the the whole power business is is evolving. Your power company is is changing from a power producer to just a power manager. And so I think we as a golf industry need to be thinking about that and and be aware of it. You know, really for us, it still comes down to economics. And the power, solar power, has worked for a lot of people, but as you go across the country, it's still not there. But I think that's only going to get uh, cheaper and more cost-effective uh, as we as we progress through time. All right, a few other questions here before we let you go, Andy. We were kind of talking about this off the air before we got going, but go- being a golf course architect is kind of like working in sales. People say no to you a lot. When that happens, does that motivate you? Does that deflate you? How do you handle a business where you, you are getting rejected more times than you're getting said yes to? <laughs> you just try to keep your head up. You know, I'm in a... I just got a new project in San Diego, so it, it, that that is really cool when that happens. You 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 relish the opportunities that you get more uh, after you've been told no a few times. I you know I've been all around the country from coast to coast and north to south, and you know I finished second three times in a row to some pretty good solid names. So the the one good takeaway is you know, I just lost out on a project. I finished second to Nick Price. So the good news is I'm now competing against Nick Price. The bad news is I'm now competing against Nick Price. <laughs> so so I think to me, you just got to keep your head up. That's what I keep telling myself. That's what everyone, that's what everyone tells me. It's like, you just got to keep at it. I'm only 45 years old. So I still got a lot of time. There's a lot of guys that, that practice, you know, obviously look at old Pete Diaz, you know, he's going to, I don't plan on retiring. I'm a I'm gonna when I get when I hit my stride. I'm uh, I'm gonna enjoy it. So you know, it's it's a tough road up. It's a tough uh, road to to be a part of the new business of our business. You know, in our business and to get these projects. But it makes getting the projects that you do get that much more sweet. And I've always said that I'm only as good as my past project. So every project I do get, I can't it can't be bad. It's got to be good. So uh, I, I'm motivated to make sure that. That I have as many Meadowbrooks in my portfolio as possible, and you know I've got a young family. I try to do my best to spend time at home, and and I'm in the golf industry, and so so for that I got to be thankful. And it's just not you. A lot of your colleagues experience the same highs and lows, but you have an amazing sense of humor. Your e-newsletters are very witty, and you're very witty when you give presentations. How important is having that sense of humor? Is that a coping strategy for you? Is that something you've always had? How important is it when you're in a tough business that they have a sense of humor about it? I feel like I get more and more of a sense of humor uh, as I go through this business. You know, and I stand in front of people and I give presentations. That, you know, I was, I was a part of the audience. I saw people give presentations. At the end of the day, all you want to do is you want to feel like the presenter uh, is, is relatable and is not going to, you know, he's not a salesman, that he's actually one of, one of us. And I've always kind of come at it uh, a little self-deprecating, a little aware that we as golfers are uh, an interesting breed. You know, we like to complain a lot. We like to yell at, you know, the golf ball as it slices out of bounds, and it's never our fault. So I, I, feel, like, I feel like I'm one of them. And so, I, I've, you know, that, that sense of humor is, is trying to just humanize myself and, 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 and be part of the, the community that we all are part of. And so 
I think another part of it too is that you know, life's too short not to have fun. And I, I, I've sat in front of a lot of bad presentations. I don't want to be one of those guys. So I better be, <laughs> I better be, uh, I better be good at what I do, or else I don't have a, a, a shot at being at the seat at the table. So, you know, it's all the arrows in the quiver. You try to f- have as many arrows in the quiver as possible just to get the seat at the table, and then from there it's a popularity contest. Speaking of sense of humor, there's an excellent college football writer and college football talk show host with the same name as you. He's also called Andy Staples. Do you ever get mixed up with him? <laughs> I don't know that I <laughs> – I know Andy Staples. Well, I don't know him personally, but uh, I don't ever – I don't think I ever get mixed up with him. But I definitely get texts from my, my friends or clients you know, a couple times a year. Either they're writing on – in their car and they see his name up on the on the screen or they're they're watching college football on Saturdays and see him as a as a reporter but uh, I do know that Andy Staples of ESPN knows that there's an Andy Staples that designs golf courses so maybe one of these days we can connect and I can either interview him or he can interview me or we can we can maybe we can change out jobs for a day or something like that you've worked all over the country and you've been able to try some things on projects that maybe other people would not have the courage or guts to try what's something you haven't done yet that you really want to implement on a golf course uh well i gotta think about that for a little while my very first reaction is doing a golf course with no bunkers and all mown one you know one height to cut you know i know that question is what what that height to cut is but i think i think the biggest thing i keep coming back to this idea of the cost and the maintenance around bunkers the labor around bunkers and if somebody could crack the code that we could actually do something as you know as, as interesting and challenging as we think golf should be with with bunkers with sand bunkers to try to do that without that's probably the 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 best one and then i would love to be able to do i'd re, i'd like to find an owner that is ready to do a golf course that's not 18 holes that we can just do a, a set aside i think there's so much opportunity uh, in the inner city, uh, in in community golf courses and municipal golf courses that have 18 holes, that you can shut down, uh, you know, nine or you know, 12 of those holes and just do a, a really cool golf complex. One of the thing, one of the things I think is most exciting about uh, the some of the new projects that have come out at Sand Valley and at, at Pinehurst, uh, these par three courses that they're all purposely doing, you know, did out abandon. They're purposely doing courses that are not 18 and they're short and they're fun. And so I'd probably, I'd love to go into, you know, downtown Chicago and, and, and do a, an eight hole course or, you know, do something reversible, do something that's not just your traditional course and then be able to free up that ground for another use, you know, as a event space or, outdoor I, I hate to call it just park space but they have to have some other type of revenue generator outdoor concert venue something like that farmers markets but i going back to the first first point i'd love a, a, a golf course with no bunkers well this was great uh it was awesome to get you back on the podcast kind of the one that started this whole series i would like to think the series has become more sophisticated than its uh roots but thanks again for joining us and congratulations on your awesome work and Best of luck here in the, the future. I appreciate it, Guy. I'm glad to help. I can't believe it's been two years, but you know what? I'm, I'm happy to say I was number one. Here, here's for another two years. Let's do this again two years from now or maybe sooner. <laughs>